Hi there, I'm your host Kate. I grew up in Seattle, Washington around friends that were entrepreneurs or had parents that were. Throughout my different ventures, I came to a realization that I enjoy talking to people about their careers and listening to their inspiring stories. One day, I thought to myself, why not record these conversations and make it into a podcast? So here we are, and now these stories are available to you with the hope that you'll also find them inspiring. Delara Casey is a strategist, marketer, and certified career coach who loves talking about careers and workforce. Delara has been featured in the Huffington Post, Mashable, and BuzzFeed, along with many more publications. Her recent speaking engagements include Together Digital, the Ohio Marketing Summit, and the Retail Summit. Join us on this episode to learn ways you can advance in your career. In my professional realm, I am a marketing and creative expert, uh, but my passion really lies in career and workforce insights. I've been in the workforce as a marketer for over 20 years, and I've seen and learned a lot. And so um, in this last year, I've really wanted to focus on sharing the things that I've learned with others to help them find a job that they're passionate about and get paid what they think they're worth and have some fulfillment in life. What made you want to help someone uh, with this career advice to get the job they want or earn more money? I have always been trying to build and grow my career. um, And sometimes people were taking notice of that. I'd have friends or colleagues or even perfect strangers reach out to me and say, Hey, I, you know, I saw you got a new job with a a bigger title and probably more money. Can you help me with my resume so that I can grow my career too? So I had been doing this kind of quietly on the side for at least a decade, if not longer. And in the last year I decided what would happen if I shared these insights, you know, to a wider, broader audience and um, extend my reach to help others. Wonderful. And um, I see that you started a TikTok sharing these tips as well. Yes. Um, Did that, did you get more motivated to do that because of like the great resonation and what was going on during COVID? Yeah. So I share my insights on two platforms, LinkedIn, obviously, because it's a professional career focused platform, but TikTok specifically because of the, the main audience that's there. A lot of my insights are for people who are in the early stages of their career. So we're looking at, you know, Gen Z and young millennials, but also people who are what I call like mid-career pivoters. So maybe you're a Gen X or even an early boomer or a Gen Y, and you've been somewhere for 20 years and you either got laid off or decided you were fed up and wanted to go somewhere else, but you haven't written your resume in 20 years. So a lot of things have changed since then. So um, a lot of my insights serve, like I said, early career folks and people who are like midstream or later in their career, but haven't had exposure to what's going on in the workforce world right now. So I chose those two platforms because I feel they serve both ends of that spectrum. And, um, and you'll see slightly different content on each platform and, you know, things like that, but um, it's been really great. You know, I'm always an early adopter to technology and social media trends. So it's been fun to be on TikTok and share, share stuff there. 
That's wonderful. Um, what is a strategy that you think all three of those demographics could use in terms of like an interview? So you mentioned Gen Z versus like younger millennials or even um, workers already in their career that are looking to pivot. Is there something that you would share with them that they can all use? Yeah, I think one thing that people kind of get stuck into is like a rut of their their search from the beginning. They'll get online and they'll search for marketing manager or social media coordinator. They'll search for an actual job title. And really what I tell people, you know, when I'm coaching them and working with them is don't look for a title. Don't look for a salary. Take a step back and ask yourself, what skills do you have that you like using and what problems do you like to solve with those skills? that's going to lead you down a path of a career opportunity that's going to be a good fit for you and for the organization. So, you know, for example, half the jobs that I have had in my career didn't even exist when I was in college. So if I would have gone down the path of looking for job titles, I wouldn't have found anything. Um, So the best advice I could give to anyone who's looking to pivot their career is again, just like assess your skills and traits that you find Um, that you enjoy using and that are your most powerful and figure out what problems you want to solve with those skills. Not only will that open up your search a little bit more, um, it'll lead you down some exciting paths of maybe innovation, or if you're super lucky, someone might see those skills and traits in you and actually create a job specifically for you. Going online and searching for jobs and looking at the skills specifically, a lot of them will be will say like five years plus experience already to start off with what is your uh, stance on that and should someone that just graduated college still apply for that job how could they make themselves more competitive um, to get that job yeah well I think there's there's two things there that are going on one is like first of all companies need to reevaluate what they actually need to have in their job description. You know, I hate when it's like entry-level job, five years experience required. Um, But as a candidate, you need to look at your holistic experience as a human being. I think people look at, oh, well, I was a cashier at Target. I should put that on my resume. Granted, work experience is valuable, but what you really want to focus on is your skills development experience and your specific traits. And that can come through different ways beyond having a job that you get a tax form for, right? If you were a babysitter, um, if you did volunteer work at the animal shelter, if you helped do social media for your uncle's company. So those are things that maybe you weren't getting paid for, but you developed skills in those experiences that you can put on your resume. Uh, I also highly encourage people, you know, college costs money, but education is free. You can go on YouTube, you can go on LinkedIn Learning, you can take discounted and free courses through Coursera. You can, if you have a library card, you can take any LinkedIn course for free. And I highly, highly recommend it. There are some courses that might cost $100, but in the long term, that is a huge investment in your education that you can put on your resume and that you can talk about in your interview. And honestly, taking that initiative is is a big selling point in your interview too. When you talk to a recruiter and say, yeah, I wanted to learn how to do X, Y, Z, so I taught myself. So I don't want people to feel discouraged if they see five five to seven years of experience required. If you take a look at yourself and look at what you've done in your life, you probably have that experience in some way, shape, or form. It might not be 
on a career journey, but it's in your holistic life journey. And you need to kind of tap into that. And, and again, that kind of goes back to figuring out how to market yourself in this economy. That's um, actually a reoccurring like subject that I hear from a lot of folks in terms of education. Um, a lot of the folks I've been talking to have learned so much on YouTube or learned so much online. And some say they learn more on YouTube than they did in college. So I guess um, I overlook that a lot of times. Like I can learn like a new skill online and think that that's not important to listen to resume. So that's a really great point that you share that your skills is valuable. Um, not just what you learned in school um, or what's on like your diploma, for example. Right. During the interview process, is there a specific tip that you would share um, that would make them stand out above all the other competition? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I almost want to take it one step back. The goal with applying for a job is to land an interview. And when I worked in a recruiting capacity, I cannot tell you how many times people did not pick up their phone, respond to their email, or be aware that I was reaching out to them. So the first thing I would tell people when you're applying for jobs is answer your phone. You are going to get, you know, calls that look like they're coming from an unknown caller, or it may be flagged as spam. If you are actively searching for a job, answer the phone, check your voicemail periodically throughout the day check your email and check your junk mail. So that is the first thing, because if you miss that call or that email, you're not going to get the interview. Um, And so I think that that's just like a very simple step that people overlook, but you would be shocked at how many people I would reach out to and not hear back from. And then two weeks later, a month later, they say, oh my gosh, this was in my junk folder. Well, you know, I don't have to tell you. So first thing is, is that. So once you get that call or to to schedule a phone interview or pre-screen, which is traditionally what recruiters will do, prepare yourself. Um, you know, usually you want to take like the first, the first time slot available. They'll probably give you, you know, three or four time slots and usually, yeah, today at two sounds great. I, I recommend don't, don't do that. Um, give yourself at least a 24 to 36 hour buffer from the time they call you to the time they want to interview you, because that's going to allow you time to prep for the interview. So after you get that time confirmed, make sure that you have blocked a half hour before that time and a half hour after that time. The half hour before that time for your interview is important because that's going to allow you time to prep and get in the zone and make sure that you're going to, your technology is working. If it's a zoom call or whatever, and that half hour after is what I call like a glorious buffer, because what if this conversation goes so well that you continue on after the time that you've allotted. So make sure you add, you bookend your time that you've slotted with that for that interview so that you have time to prepare before and then time for it to extend after. So that 24 to 36 hour period that you're allowing yourself before you have your interview, I recommend that number one, you review your resume that you submitted for that job so that you are looking at the skills and the narrative that you have presented to them. Because if you're doing your job search right, you're sending out a different resume to every job you're you're applying for. And I'm saying that with a little bit of a smile because some people don't. Um, but if you have you know specialized or tailored your resume to that role, make sure you have that relevant resume up and that you've reviewed it and that you're looking at the experience that they're looking at so that when you have that conversation, you're, be, you're able to tie that back. I also recommend doing a deep dive into the company. So go on their website, learn a little bit about them. Do they have a new product that they've launched? 
um, look at some of the other roles that they have available and see like, understand that how maybe your role might be interacting with the new role, go on LinkedIn and learn some more about the company from that perspective, read the last five to 10 LinkedIn posts that they've had. I also suggest going on Google, searching for that company and then clicking on news and seeing if there's any new news articles that you can read to learn about the company. And then finally going on Glassdoor. Um, make sure you check out and see any, any reviews that the company has from previous employees, um, good, bad, or ugly. Um, and then also just learn a little bit more about the organization as a whole. So that way, when you go into that call, um, you have questions that are more specific about the company and about the organization and the role. And they aren't things like, what are the work hours? What is the pay? You know, those are things that they should be providing to you, but you really want to learn a little bit more about the organization, the culture, and I, what I call like the brass tacks of the role. And I highly recommend giving yourself that buffer before your first interview so that you have a list of thoughtful questions you can come to that first conversation. So is mass applying something you would suggest? And then I guess going off of that, do you, what are your advice for keywords? So I guess there's yeah. two part. Two part there's a lot there. of, yeah, there's a lot of things I want to talk about with that mm-hmm. question you asked. So, um, first of all, I want to dispel a myth. And again, I've worked in a recruiting capacity and I've worked with an ATS. So applicant tracking system. So that's when you go online and you, you plug in your resume, you're submitting it to an ATS, the bot that you referred to. Um, in my experience, a human being still has to push the button to, to refuse the resume. So regardless if it picks up keywords or not, a human being is still scanning that resume between five and 15 seconds, which doesn't sound like a long time, but trust me, you can tell. Um, so, so, you know, I do think there is an important aspect of having keywords in there that are relevant to the job description. And that's where we went back to making sure that your resume is tailored for the role. That's important, but I wouldn't hang all of my, you know, um, rejections on the fact that a bot said, no, um, I would look back at my resume. I would look back at the job I applied for and I'd see if it really, if it really was a strong applicant. Um, I am, I do not think mass applying is a, is a good solid strategy for career growth, development, or anything. Um, It's a lot like dating, right? So if you go on Tinder and you swipe right on every single person, all you're going to do is have a bunch of dates. You're going to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you're not going to make a connection with anybody that's worthwhile. You're not going to find your future partner doing it that way. But if you ask a friend to hook you up and put you on a blind date, they'll be thoughtful about who they're going to hook you up with. And then you'll go on this blind date and you'll have a meaningful conversation. And that's where that same approach applies to career seeking. So my advice to anybody, the best thing you can do for yourself that will serve you well, your entire career and beyond is to network. And I think that, you know, younger generations view networking as something like dirty and gross, And just to like change the dynamic on it, networking is like making friends that have jobs like you. Basically, that's what networking is. And so I would highly encourage people to do strategic networking. So for the hour that you would would spend spraying five resumes across the internet, go on LinkedIn, look up people who work at a company that you aspire to work at or have a role that you aspire to have and send them an email message and say, hey, 
I just graduated college. I have a degree in XYZ and I'm interested in getting in the field that you're in. Would you mind spending 15 minutes on a Zoom call with me so that I can learn more about you and your career so that I can be better positioned when I'm applying for jobs? I have done this myself and I have never had anyone say no. I have had people do this to me and I have never said no. So that will be worth its weight in gold, doing strategic networking. Um, You could also join groups and organizations that are in the industry or field where you are looking to get, uh, to get employed and meet people that way. But once a week, which is spend 10 minutes and look up someone on LinkedIn and send them a note. And when you're done talking with them, ask them if there's anyone that they think you should meet and they will introduce you to somebody else. And before you know it, your network will grow into a meaningful group of people who know you who would vouch for you and will keep you top of mind if there's an opportunity that they're aware of, um, which is important because one thing we didn't talk about is the hidden job market. 70% of jobs out there aren't even posted publicly. So the ones that you're scrambling to and spraying your resume to, the whole world's going after those. But there are you know three times more jobs than that that aren't even posted yet. And those people can be your pathway to finding those roles too. That's, seven, you said 70%? of jobs that are currently in the market are not even publicly posted. Is there a reason why they're not publicly posted? A lot of them are public are posted internally. Um, Some of them are, they're just like finding them through networking and referrals. So there's a variety of different reasons. Um, And, you know, I can tell you like half the jobs I've had, I never applied for. Like people reached out to me and said, Hey, we need a marketing director. Do you want to come work here? Um, they weren't publicly posted. So I can attest to the fact that that is a real thing. <laughs> and um, What you just shared just reminded me of that quote. Uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know Never what? Of- <laughs> that is a great quote. And I have a Delara Casey version of it. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. And that's why marketing is, or not marketing, <laughs> but that's why networking is so important. And networking is essentially marketing yourself, but who knows you is so important and who knows you and knows what you do or can do is just as important too. So I really encourage people to put yourself out there and, you know, I get pushed back like, Oh, I'm an introvert. I don't like meeting people. And at the end of the day, it's making friends. (laughs) Like, I mean, everyone's okay making friends, right? So um, don't be intimidated by it. And like I said, I've reached out to CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies and said, you know, I want to ask you about XYZ. Do you have 15 minutes for a Zoom call? And that CEO said, you know what? Let's go to lunch. So you would be shocked at how many people are willing to help out and reach back and pull people forward with them. That's really encouraging. Um, I think that's not something you learn in school. Usually, No. No one teaches you that. No. So it's very important. Um, And even just like, a little like just a conversation opener could just change your whole tra- trajectory of right what happens next yeah and when you have that conversation you know always make sure you're setting it up as a give and take though you know so thank them for their time and ask them is there anything I could do for you and you would be shocked <laughs> there is probably something you could do you know maybe they're looking for someone to help with their social media or they're looking for an intern or they're looking for 
you know, something else. So you would be surprised. You know, I think sometimes this younger generation gets so caught up in like, I don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, a lot. And it's, it's really important to recognize that everyone has value to bring. And so um, in those networking scenarios, even though someone might be 30 years older than you and been through, you know, been around the block and back, they can still learn from you and you can still learn from them. There's been a trend that's been growing called the great resignation. Some people call it the great opportunity where people are leaving their jobs voluntarily um, at a record rate, Um, usually to find something else that they're more passionate in or better work conditions, such as uh, work from home or higher pay. Since you've been in this area of expertise for, I think, 10 plus years at least, have you seen a dramatic change between employer and employee? And how, how has that changed? Yeah, I have seen, I have seen change, but I think it's in certain segments and certain industries, you know, not every, not every industry can quickly adapt and adjust to the needs of the workers. And, you know, a perfect example is, um, you know, a friend of mine, she works at a hospital, you know, she, she, she can't, work from home, right? I mean, that's not an option. She has to see patients. So there are certain industries that aren't impa- impacted by this as much as others, um, but you make a good point with the great resignation. I think COVID shined a really bright light on how much time and sacrifice people were making for their job. You know, there's a story of like the parents that wake up at 4 a.m. so they can work out, pack lunches, pack up the kids, drive a half hour to drop them off at school or daycare, drive a half hour back so that they can be at their desk at 8.30. For what? For a meeting that didn't even really need to happen. And then they have to, you know, pack up their, pack up everything at 5.30 and rush to daycare to get the kids so they don't have to pay a $200 late pickup charge. And then they have to drive all the way back home, exhausted by 7 p.m. so they can heat up a frozen dinner, stare at the TV for an hour and pass out and do it all over again. So COVID shined a light on how much time we were spending commuting, how much money we were paying on childcare and how much sacrifice we were making in our personal lives to work those eight hours a day. So now, you know, I roll out of bed around 8.45, not me, but you know, I hop on my computer by nine, I work for a couple hours, I take my dog for a walk, I have lunch with a friend, I go back and get my work done. So now people are seeing that like, I can actually get all this work done in less time and have more quality of life. And so that's what is, that's what cultivated the great resignation. The, the time, the money that they were paying for their time wasn't worth it. And I get that because the time was like much more than eight hours a day. It was like 12. Uh, and so what's happened is a lot of people have left and taken remote or hybrid jobs. They've taken pay cuts, they've shifted into different industries. And some people have actually quit their jobs and started their own gigs. And that's been great too. It is a gig economy. You can open an Etsy shop and earn six figures if you work hard enough and know how to make it happen. So we're seeing a lot of that happening. And I think it's showing to employers that like, Hey, it's about more than just money. It's about time. It's about quality of life. It's about mental health. It's about having, you know, an enriching experience. You know, some of the best employers out there, you know, sell shoes, they sell random things. It's nothing exciting, but they understand how to value what employees need to feel fulfilled, not just in work and at life. And so I see a lot of employers shifting towards a model that is more accommodating. Um, But like I said, in some industries, they can't do that. 
I do think a lot of these things are here to stay. You know, some major employers are shifting to a four-day work week. Um, you look at Panasonic, you look at Bolt, Basecamp, they are having their employees work 32 hours a week and that's considered full-time and they haven't seen a drop in productivity or in profit um, because technology enables us to work better, work smarter and not harder. Um, and so I think that that's a really nice thing that's come out of the pandemic. It's shined a light on how technology should be used to give us time back for ourselves and not give more to the company. What tips or strategies would you share with someone who may be in the position of still being at their job, one who hasn't left yet, but is on the edge of considering to leave, but they want a better working condition or higher pay? Is there something else they can do rather than just leave the company and look for another job? Ask for it. That sounds so simple, but ask for it. Make a thoughtful ask. Um, You know, if you explain to your boss, hey, look, I would like to work from home Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Let's try it out for 90 days. If you see a decrease in my productivity, we can revisit it. But I'd like to try this experiment. And you don't have to explain to them why. Just ask for it. Um, You know, and if you're asking for more compensation, I think that it's always good to have data and metrics to back it up and say, you know, I'm looking at my job description and the the outputs that I've done in the last year and a half. Uh, I've had a perfect review and according to Glassdoor, you know, levels.fyi and salary.com, I should be making 20% more. So I'd like to talk about what we can do so that I can get there within the next 90 days. And I think that those are reasonable asks. And when you do it, be specific. Don't just walk in and say, I'd like a raise. Ask for the number that you want and ask for the time frame in which you would like it uh, and, and let them know what you're willing to do to, to get there. Uh, you know, don't just say, I want a flexible work schedule. Ask for specifically what you want and always offer it on a trial basis. And like 99.999% of the time, the trial basis sticks, you know, um, employers don't want to lose people, you know, um, the cost, the, the actual hard cost of replacing and training a new employee is astronomical beyond that recruiting is impossible right now. So like the time that they would lose replacing you is, is insane. So if you like the company where you work and there's like one or two things that you would like to have different, ask for them and, and, and go from there. Now there's another approach. You could go apply for a job and get an offer and use that as leverage, but you're risking the employer calling your bluff and saying, okay, take the job. We're not going to be able to do that for you. Um, So if you go that route, you're going to have to be willing to, to put your money where your mouth is and leave. Um, So those are two approaches, but I always start with asking and you would be surprised at how far it can get you. That's a great tip. I think um, as an employee, it could there could be a lot of fear behind asking. It's like undermining what your worth is, uh, but also the fear of like, if what if they let me go instead of helping? Um, and I think that's changed quite a bit. I think COVID definitely helped open up that area of conversation because uh, employee employers are more open to helping their employees have a better quality of life. And I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's human. 
So although we are working, we also have kids, like you mentioned, um, and an outside life. So that's, that's a great, that's great advice. So yeah. don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. And, and also just to circle back on like the 40 hour work week. I mean, that is such an archaic rule. I mean, it was made in the 1920s <laughs> by Henry Ford, who had a factory line of people building automobiles and he decided everyone should work nine to five. And like that, that whole entire concept, like is just so archaic. And the fact that it's never been questioned until now is fascinating to me. Um, but I think that it's being questioned and people are responding or responding to it reasonably. So I, I think that it just took, you know, a global pandemic to put us in that position. Um, but I think when we're on the other side of this, that there will be a lot more understanding and flexibility about what, what a reasonable amount of work is. I think you wrote the other day that a four-day work week is becoming more of a thing. Yes. Do you see that trending more with more companies? It's going to be 10 hours a day for four days. No. What's that going to look like? No, a four-day work week is going to be four eight-hour days. It's going to be a 32-hour week. Um, those are the trends that we're seeing, like I had mentioned earlier, like Bolt, Panasonic, Basecamp, and there's a couple others um, in the tech space that have already started laying out that trend. There is some legislation in California that's, that's you know, I, that's what I shared the other day that we are seeing coming to light. There's pushback a little bit here and there, um, but we'll see how that shakes out. The fact that it's even being talked about to me is a step in the right direction. But no, it wouldn't be four 10-hour days. It would be four eight-hour days. It would mean a three-day weekend. It would mean more opportunity to spend time with your family. I also can see this being good for the economy. I mean, that third weekend day, you're going to go out and spend money. You're going to go out to dinner. You're going to take a long vacation. You're going to go buy stuff. You're going to be you know, contributing to the economy. So I can see some good sides to it. From an employer's perspective, I could see challenge to it. You know, if you're a business that's open nine to five, Monday through Friday, now you've got to hire an extra person to cover that fifth day. Um, so that would be something to figure out to navigate. But I, I'm curious to see how that idea unfolds and how the mandate unfolds in California. And I'm keeping my eye on it to see, you know, what companies respond to it and which ones don't. And like I said, not every industry can adopt that practice, uh, but there's there's workarounds to make it happen. Uh, it would, it would, it would, you know, mean that there's some creativity required, but I think that it's, it's possible. That was Delara Casey sharing career and workforce advice. Have you been utilizing some of her strategies at work or in your career search? Well, you can follow Delara's work on TikTok under username at totally underscore employable. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on our website at www.dayoneway.com or follow us on social media.